Welcome to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Moss. In this episode, I talk with Billy Sinkford, a bicycle industry insider and VP of PR and marketing firm Echos Communications. Billy lives in Portland and is the man behind MADE, a major bike show coming to Portland August 24th through the 27th that will feature over 200 custom bike builders and other companies in what Billy calls the largest handmade bike show North America has ever seen. I've known Billy for years, but have never been able to sit down and actually have a chat with him, so I was really excited he was able to swing by the shed for this interview. I finally got a chance to ask him more about his interesting past, how he got into the bike industry, the work he does with Echoes, why he's such a big fan of handmade bikes, and more. Oh, and he was also nice enough to share the strange and I'll just say very personal story of how he got his nickname, Soup Horse, the name many people know him by and the name that's tattooed across his neck. Learn more about the Made Bike Show on their website at made.bike and settle in for this conversation. Billy Sinkford, welcome into the shed. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Something I like to ask everybody that comes back here, if you can just share with us, what is your like relationship to cycling past and, and present, right? So did you ride a lot as a kid? Did you come into it late in life? Like what, how has cycling kind of been a part of your life up until now? Definitely rode an awful lot as a child growing up. And then in my mid-teens, I definitely left it for a little while. And then I came back all in, 17, bought a bike messenger company in Boston, Massachusetts, and went all in. I was working midnight to eight security at Faneuil Hall in Boston and then riding as a bike messenger during the day, moonlighting at the juggling store that I managed in Faneuil Hall, and did that for quite a while. Um, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. You were you were a security guy? Yes. Who was who had a, a, a sort of side hustle being a bike messenger and you Whether were or not that was the also, side hustle or, or the security job? guard was the side hustle, I'm <laughs> not sure, but there was a hustle going on nonetheless. But, but you're also a bike messenger and also a juggling as in like circus juggling. Correct. I was a professional magician and a juggler, and I used to perform in Faneuil Hall and street perform in Boston at the same time. There you go. Okay, I did. And not- I used I used the bike to get around to all of those things, and it kind of became my catalyst. On top of work, it became my mode of transportation, and slowly over the course of decades, it has. I mean, only morphed into more and more of my life, and you know, the bike is certainly my greatest joy. There's no doubt about it. Awesome. And I guess it's kind of fitting that you ended up in Portland as a bike messenger, juggle store owner person. Although I don't, I've never seen you do any of that around here. Might, might fit in really well. Well, I don't want to take anything away from our flame throwing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, that have already got that market covered. Um, but no, I'm thrilled. It's been almost well over a decade in Portland and it's fantastic. So I want to go back a little bit. So you were you were a bike messenger in Boston and in San Francisco, right? I started in Boston, and after that, I did a short stint in the military, and then I moved to San Francisco, and became a bike messenger there. And that is how I slowly weaved my way into the actual bicycle industry ah. itself. Yes. Okay. So, bike messenger, San Francisco. In tell me how you sort of morphed yourself from bike messenger 
person to like into the marketing side of things or were they happening at the same time? Or like, I'm curious how you got, you know, that first job in like the bike industry that I understand the being a bike messenger is sort of in the bike industry too, but I'm curious kind of how you got into the, the marketing side of things. Well, the messenger side of things was fantastic. I did it for almost 10 years. Um, at that point, you start to call yourself a careerier instead of a, oh. instead of a messenger. Never heard that. I like that. <clears throat> and I think I, I, I did the best that I possibly could in that environment, and I got burnt out. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of product design work with Timbuktu, also based in San Francisco. And then I linked up with Chrome Industries, and Chrome kind of... I guess they saw an opportunity in me. I certainly saw an opportunity in them. And I weaseled my way into their marketing department and started as a social media coordinator and left pretty much as the VP of marketing. Uh, and as Chrome was sold to Keen, mm. I don't know how, how deep we want to go into this backstory, but also a local Portland company. Right. Um, there was a little bit of a non-compete agreement between the people that were involved with Chrome and at the same time, Mission Workshop, which is another messenger bag and apparel company was starting. And we used Mission Workshop, myself and my business partner, to start Echoes, our, our PR firm. And they yeah. were our first client. So it was uh, definitely got into all of this throughout the messenger and like the urban cycling kind of vibe and culture. Yeah, and it, it was sort of, early, like you said, you were social media for chrome but that was this is pretty early in the social media world Isn't we this had, like we had left myspace or? we had left yeah. myspace okay. but we we definitely but, there was no instagram there was none of this stuff this was like rudimentary just yeah. brand building on social and through that started doing pr and uh why is your why is your nickname soup horse what's the story about that again that's, is that uh, that came in Portland, right? Or no, before? No, that was a Boston. Long before that Boston. Was, yeah, that was deep Boston. Um, I don't normally tell this, but I'll, I'll tell it because we're on the podcast. I'll give it a go. Um, very, very cold winter day in Boston. Start of the morning, full day as a messenger, and we're talking six to eight inches of snow on the ground, like freshly fallen. Oh. And one of the first deliveries that I pulled up to, as I tried to get off my bike, my seat post snapped in half and I sat down I my body fell onto that and was a real rough day with a lot of borrowing tissues from some of our receptionists to place in places that we don't really need to talk about on the podcast yeah and we were so busy that I didn't have time to stop by the bike post and get a new seat post so I just rode all day on a fixed gear bike without uh without a saddle and at the end of the day at the bar Seat posts turned into supports, and I guess you can call the rest history. It certainly was right. not a nickname that I chose for myself. Okay. It's not a nickname that I'm happy that I have, but it is now how I am known throughout a lot of the bike world. Yeah. So. Fun. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. So what the heck do you do now? Echoes Communications is something that you started or co-start no you joined right or you you were hired onto after having a few different jobs in the bike industry tell me about the or the genesis of echoes uh so i'm the vp okay. at echoes uh my business partner rob uh is the founder we started it together and i manage our cycling portfolio of clients which is generally around 20 brands that we manage and we do public relations and marketing 
pretty much anything that doesn't involve actual sales of stuff. Um, that's what we do. So we're making sure that brand messages get out to the cycling media and then also out to the greater audience as well. Okay. So flesh that out a little bit brand messages, meaning like you're, you're helping these companies get the right kind of stories in the magazines and doing maybe a event tie-ins, like getting, making sure stuff gets in reviewers. Like do you tell folks that aren't yeah, exactly so there, sure there's what some what of that, that but mean? there's some of that, but really it's about, I mean, there's so many different ways to get your, your message out there now. So it's not just, I mean, eight, 10 years ago, it was, we want to be in bicycling magazine right. and that's pretty much it. Right. 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 Um, nowadays there are so many different ways to get your message out there. So it's kind of helping people guide and navigate through the different channels, but PR and making sure, I mean, they're, even though the industry has seen a bit of a slump as far as the media is concerned. We've seen a lot of outlets come and go. It's awesome, mm. by the way, to see Bike Portland still kicking still, and going strong. Still kicking, yeah. <laughs> um, not still kicking, going strong. Yeah. Um, so, but they're getting involved in the actual cycling media is important, but also as we've had the bike boom, getting the message out to people that don't know that much about bikes, especially now that there are so many more options out there with e-bikes and other things. So there's media components to it and then just also there's so many different ways to talk about your brand and making sure that the brand is getting represented well you mentioned maybe new people coming in to cycling uh after the covid boom right which assume you're talking about the covid boom oh yeah recent yeah. boom um what what do you see as your role uh being someone who can pull so many levers in bike marketing do you see your role and how do you actually implement that this idea of like getting new people into this into this because it'd be easy for you right i'm sure you've heard this before and maybe talked about it thought about it of like a lot of bike marketing can be pretty insular it can kind of like talk to the same crowd versus uh trying to reach new you know new types of riders so is that something that you're like actively doing and how how, how are you approaching that well i'd say that's probably a two-part thing so from a personal level i feel extremely fortunate to be able to work doing what I'm doing. And I feel uh, absolute sense of obligation and duty to try to get as many people on bikes as possible. So that supersedes any media relationship I have or any relationship that I have with a brand. Uh, so I kind of try to look through everything with that lens. And that's how we guide our conversations with the brands that we work with and the media that we work with. Uh, but yes, the ultimate goal is less marketing jargon and more people on bikes. And I think right now it's kind of a golden time for that to be taking place where for many years, there were a lot of brands that they didn't even have to market themselves. Mm. The product was flying off the shelves. Mm. And now that has ceased to happen. You can buy that product on eBay for half of what you can get it from at a store. So what does that look like now? And how do we engage the people that bought a bike and may or may not want to stay on it now that they can actually go do anything other than ride a bike. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was during the COVID time, it was real easy to do my job because it was legally mandated that the only thing you could go do was ride a bicycle. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. So when that's it, that's easy. But then how do you keep those people engaged, keep all the riders engaged after now they can go back to their normal lives and what they did prior, prior to that. So um, I don't know. I think the the ultimate goal is to keep more people on bikes. The more people on bikes, the better. And that's kind of the, the overarching vibe. 
do you have some idea from where you sit on like how how to go about that like does that mean how to go about retaining some of these folks that that were riding a lot during covid who who may be more likely to just hang the bike back up now are you does that mean that you're like trying to reach out to new different types of magazines that maybe aren't uh some that we would think would be related to cycling or is it like going into new uh, different kinds of events getting your brands in front of those or like is there some specific ways that you're seeing that like the industry and the stuff that you're doing can can get those kind of folks to stay excited about cycling uh well i think we already were in conversation with all if somebody's talking about bikes on you know within the media landscape i would hope that i'm in conversation with Mm -hmm. them we we do a pretty good job of doing that so it's less about that i think it's more about the actual individual and the person and nailing that down and getting them excited and ultimately that comes back to a sense of community without that it doesn't exist if you look at e-bikes right now they're growing in popularity but there's no sense of community around the e-bike. There's a sense of community around the tall bike. Mm. There's a sense of community around the recumbent tandem. Or, or, or like when mountain biking <laughs> took off, obviously there was this huge community and started in community. And right? fixed like, gear, messenger yeah. culture, you know, road racing. Each of them has a tribe that's attached to it and you associate yourself with that tribe. Yeah, You're not necessarily associating that with the e-bike. So I think right now... It's about educating people so that they can hopefully attach themselves and feel comfortable attaching themselves to one of whatever, wherever they exist in the cycling ecosphere. They're like, oh, I fit in here. This makes sense. Mm. So that it's a sense of welcoming and, and just trying to keep people engaged on the bike. That really is it. Because if they're not engaged, if they can't go out and do that with their friend, if they can't go out and go to an event that that's, you know, is associated with, then they're not going to stick around. So like a lot of what you do and have been involved in in Portland and all the promotion that you've done has helped foster this immense sense of community in Portland. Like you're tremendously responsible for a lot of the amazing things that have happened um, in the Portland cycling community. We need to foster that and keep that going and be welcoming to new people. And I, I actually have to stop myself on a pretty regular basis where I'm like, your saddle's too low. (laughs) You should, if you just pedaled this way, then it's like, no, we need to let everybody experience cycling and learn in their own way. And hopefully they stick around. And do you see a lot of that with e-bikes? I mean, I'd love to hear, like, what do you think about this just massive adoption of, of e-bikes and the fact that unlike maybe some of the other categories, a lot of folks that are buying e-bikes are not like coming from existing tribes, so to speak. These aren't N plus one people, right? These are like just a lot of them brand new people who either haven't ridden since they were kids and they're older now or for whatever reason, some, you know, what are you thinking about this e-bike boom? Is this something that you're excited for? You think is like, uh, giving some amount of like challenge to the industry. You think the industry is like meeting the moment, right? Like where are you at with how e-bikes have changed the landscape? There's a lot of challenge. There's also an awful lot of opportunity and Every time I see somebody on an e-bike that doesn't appear to be a cyclist to me, like it warms my heart a little bit. Even if sometimes they're a little bit dangerous and maybe we need to educate them a little bit better on how to be on the road, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. We're pulling people into our world of bikes that would never, ever have been in our world of bikes. There's going to be issues that come up that we're all going to have to work together and solve, but I think ultimately... 
that's one less car that's on the road and that's one happier individual in their daily life. I mean, I know when I go ride my bike in the morning, I'm set all day. I've got nothing but a smile on my face. So if that's the way you're starting and ending your day, kudos to you, um, no matter which form it happens in. So it's just a question of education, commitment to bringing people into our tribe. And we're there. There's just, there's still more work to do. So it's, it's a tricky topic where there's a lot of feelings on all sides of the pond, but I think ultimately I would much rather have that person sitting in the saddle next to me than sitting inside of a car. Cool. And, and speaking of pulling people in, let's get to the, 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 the real the main reason that we had you over oh, okay. today, which was pulling people into this huge bike show that you are organizing four days of a bike show down in Zydell Yards in South Waterfront in Portland. Tell me about this show. What the heck is, is going to happen down there? Well, this is the made bike show. So this is the largest handmade bike show that's ever taken place on North American shores. I am, I don't even have the words. I'm so humbled and I'm so honored to be the steward of this fantastic effort that's taking place. Uh, this is not about anything that we're doing. This is a, the builders themselves that had wanted this to take place. And as the market has boomed, there's been a lack of a show to, to have this happen. And there had been one prior and we were put in a position where we we're able to actually make this take place. So we took the leap of faith and went ahead and did it. And I live in Portland. I travel all year to trade shows and I get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of all those different things. In Portland, there could not be a better place to to throw this. So we, we have over 140 frame builders that are coming to the show and over 200 vendors that are going to be there total. And that keeps growing daily to the point where I'm maxing out yet again my second venue. Um, and people want to come see this. So we're, and, we're pretty pumped. And, and for folks who don't know, Zydell Yards is like a, a shipbuilding facility or a former shipbuilding facility. Massive, massive. Uh, I think it says on the website, 100,000 square feet. And you said you're, you're maxing that out. Okay, so is this something where, I mean, I almost feel like it's going to be so big, overwhelmingly big. Are you feeling like people will get like two days of tickets to to give this thing justice or I would certainly hope so there. I mean, it depends on what your level of involvement is and, and how you want to be there. We'll have stuff for the kids. We'll have stuff for everybody. We'll have food carts and coffee and beer and all that stuff. But if you're, if you're truly interested in, in bikes in the way that I am or in the way that I, I would imagine a lot of your listeners are, there's a lot to take out of this show. So you can, you can either do a quick breeze through or you can do a sailor dive depending upon what you want to do. And we have builders coming from everywhere, all four corners of the globe. Mm. So, I mean, we've got people coming from Nambia and people coming from France and people come from the UK uh, and not attendees. These are builders that are coming to bring their bikes and show them. So the list of builders that's going to be there, we have a lot of wonderful builders here in Portland. All of them are going to be represented, but then this is a global show. And then the brands that support that. So, the Paul components and the industry nines and, and all of the brands that 
make products that you would see on a custom bike are all going to be present. So this is as close as, I mean, not as close. You can touch and feel and get as deep into this as you absolutely want to. But this is the cycling industry brought to Portland through the lens of the handmade world. Okay, I got to ask you about one of those builders in particular. How did you connect with this? I think I'm saying, is this some Anguza from Namibia? Yeah. How did you make that connection? Is that... Uh, so I have known Dan through the internet for a little while. Uh, what he does caught my eye for sure. And we just spoke back and forth and like the commitment that he has to the culture that he's bringing and the product that he's bringing to market just kind of always struck me as amazing. And he reached out all of the, we have done zero outreach to get anybody to come to Maid. Everybody that's coming is coming because they reached out to us and wanted to come to the show. And he was one of the first people that reached out and was like, hey, I'm really interested in what you guys are doing and made sure that they were going to have some space to show what they're doing and and bring their culture and bring a little taste of what they've got going on. I think there's this myth of the 55-year-old middle-aged to upper-middle-aged white man that works maybe i mean i hate to say it but lawyer doctor and that's your your custom enthusiast there are builders out there that are doing amazing things that are don't check any of those boxes and and dan and what he's got going on is one of them so having them come over and making sure that they were present made an awful lot of sense okay i know that you are i know that you are um you know you're based here you live here you ride here you know, all, all, all the builders here. Is there, tell me something about why you feel this is, you know, uh, something that is right for Portland, like right now. Well, we have always kept it weird. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we have actually been, and I have data points to, to show all this stuff because I run a PR firm and we get to look at numbers all the time. By capita, we have one of the largest numbers of custom frame builders in the United States and actually per if if you import the city of Portland and the number of builders that we have here, and then you port that to another country, sometimes we beat the other countries. Oh, wow. uh, okay. So we really have got an awful lot going on here in Portland. That's our community. That's our vibe. And it just makes perfect sense to host a show here where the people that are engaged in that can enjoy it and not everybody is going to come to this show to buy a custom bike a lot of people just want to come to the show to see the bikes and to hang out and to be part of the community but our community supports this culture in a way that other cities don't and we looked i live here in portland so for me to host a trade show where i get to sleep in my own bed (laughs) is like check that one off the i'm never going to get that again yeah um we're also not going anywhere this is going to stay in portland indefinitely um but there are cities that just don't they they don't support it in the way that Mm -hmm. portland does so for us to do this here it just made sense any idea why that might be why does portland support this kind of thing we're not looking for the easiest answer we're looking for the best answer for ourselves, I think, collectively as a community. You're not looking to go get the bike that you can get today that's going to check two out of the three boxes off. You're willing to go the extra mile and buy something once, have it last a lifetime, 
and have it check off all the boxes, which is when you get a custom bike, it should check off every box that you want. And it's interesting to me because it feels like a little bit of a, of a, uh, what's the word? Not misnomer. It feels a little bit strange to me in a way that Portland does support so many custom frame builders and has historically. I mean, I've been covering it since, I don't know, ever since the start of Bike Portland, you know, the bike, the bike builder senior has always been so strong. But it's interesting because this isn't really like the people who support it here aren't necessarily like you mentioned before. It's not necessarily just doctors and lawyers. I think Portland, maybe more so than a lot of other cities, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you have just, you know, less rich people, let's say, buying custom bikes. It's like the, this is the deeper demographic is skewed. Right? The demographic is skewed way down. Yeah, yeah. So Portland, you'll find, I was just hanging out with somebody the other day, a 28-year-old that bought a custom bike from somebody in Minneapolis. Not even from Portland. They live here in mm -hmm. Portland. But they bought this bike so they could cart their dog around. Um, and they were super stoked to have this bike. And it checked off every single box for them. So for them, they don't need a car. So the car payment goes away. There's so many things that you can cut financially when you don't have that in the way. Mm -hmm. And then you look at it as an investment mm -hmm. in the future. And it, and it really is. Yeah, I wonder if it's also like the the longevity aspect of it where Portland has that ethic of, you know, buy one, like just keep something for a long time instead of like disposable, right. Uh, products that are going to come and go. So maybe, maybe it fits into that too, where people are like, look, I'm going to buy this one bike and I'm going to have it forever. Maybe that's really appealing to Portlanders more than other places. And also it's an identity thing, right? Portland, when you walk around, you're going to see a lot of Danner hats. You're going to see a lot of Patagonia jackets, but you're also going to see a lot of people that have removed the branding from those and a lot of people that are just kind of wandering around doing their own thing. And that's kind of part of what the custom bike movement is, is I don't want to be tied to one of three things. I want to be able to make my own decision, an educated decision, but make my own decision about it. And that's what Handmade gives you the ability to do. You get to decide the branding. You get to decide. It's not just about whether the bike fits you. It's about how the bike looks and how it, you know, integrates into your life. And you don't need somebody else to tell you how to do that if you already know what you want. So if you know what you want, go get what you want. And guess what? We have 140 builders that can that yeah. can fight for your money to, to decide whether or not they're the one to build that for you. Yeah, I was just going to say that's probably why the, sh the show you're putting, the made show is going to be so popular. And these shows have been popular is because it, the kind of people that are buying these bikes, they do want to go talk to the builder they want to like check out those different little nuances and differences between one builder to the next and be able to get all their questions answered and like you said make sure they're going to check off all those boxes so that's kind of like a uniquely cool thing about like a, a handmade builder show is you can do all that in one place and get a bunch of shopping done at one time and it's, it's it honestly there there are folks that are going to come to the show for eye candy they're going to bring their family and they're going to hang out and that's awesome and maybe five, six, ten years from now, they'll decide mm -hmm. that they want a custom bike. And then we're going to have folks that are going to show up with a short list of people that they want to talk to. And they're actually going to say, hey, what, what, what is your ethos on this? Like, how, what does this dropout look like? Whether it's a technical thing or a cultural thing, they'll find their fit. And ultimately, part of the custom process is you've got to vibe with the builder that's making your bike because they are making something with input from you. Your riding style, it's not just your geometry and the numbers themselves, it's how are you gonna use this bike? What do you want it to look like? Are you gonna lock it up outside all the time? Like there's so many different questions that they're gonna ask you to 
figure out what that bike should be for you. And then vice versa on the customer side, you're looking at these folks and being like, what does this person believe in? What other bikes have they built? So you're going to, yeah. you're going to have, you know, some meeting points there and people are going to be interviewing each other. I, I was going to say, it feels like if I was a builder coming to a show like this, I would feel, I would feel a little bit of pressure. I don't know. It must be a little bit nerve wracking for these builders to, when you roll up those doors and all these people come through, you know, are they going to like my booth? Like I want to, you know, obviously these are people who don't really look for outward, uh, you know, uh, endorsement. A lot of the builders I know are, are just solid people who are who they are. They're not looking for looking to be popular, let's say, but there's a sense that these folks have to make a living and they've got to sell bikes. So it must be a little nerve wracking to have everybody come walk through your booth and are they going to, are they going to like how it's set up? Are they going to, you know what I mean? That, that kind of thing. This is a neat balance at these shows. I think sometimes where it's like, uh, just putting out what you've got versus hoping that people like it, right? It's an interesting mix. Well, I think we're doing something cool to hopefully tackle that. But in previous iterations of The Handmade Show, which we've been involved in for a long time, The Handmade Show, we'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, but I have thrown seminars of how to talk to the media, uh, done things like that. And we have two days prior to the consumer-facing days that are just for the builders and for the media, because we're a PR firm. So one of our superpowers is we're bringing the media to this. So the people that come through the door are gonna get to see all of this in person and experience it, but what can we do to bring this message to the global community and to get this in places that it would not normally be? And that's really what we're trying to do. So for those two days, not only are they gonna be meeting with the media, but we'll actually be educating the builders on, hey, you're a little bit of a recluse. Yes, there are some. Here's ways. how you talk to the yeah. media. Come stand in the front of your booth. Come do these things. So just wow. giving like basic yeah. guidelines on all that stuff so that hopefully they're able to present themselves in a way that they're excited about. And the consumers then get excited about, you know, everybody walking through the doors gets to find out as much about them as humanly possible. And that's cool. So you're actually doing like the, the professional development of the, of the builders thing. And these builders at other shows, and when we get together, uh, we're always getting together in front of the public and in front of the people that are trying to purchase the bikes. There's no industry moment surrounding it. So for Builder X and Builder Y, neither of them gets to go over and be like, oh, that's how you laid down that weld, or like, how did you fit that extra water bottle boss on there? We have two days where everybody's gonna be able to wander around, and again, we're talking about Portland and the sense of community builders and their own sense of community is also equally important. And when, whatever we show up, that is often lost in translation. So making intentional space for that to take place is important. I love that. So the idea of like builders themselves going around and trading notes and from what I've seen over the years of going to these shows, they love doing that. They like, most of them are like, I don't know all that. We're most all of them nerds. are very, we're all nerds. Yeah, they definitely want to like, there's, it's not a very, it doesn't feel very like competitive and secretive. Well, that's the way we elevate the craft as a whole. And you know, anybody that is super deep into the cycling world that whether or not they know that much about the custom world or not, like if you're mm -hmm. riding enough that you at least understand that there are builders out there and, and multiple of them, you're nerding out on this stuff and you want to find out more about it and making space for the builders and the brands and the media to get to spend that time together. And then also then by the time that, you know, we open the doors and the public come in, you have a bunch of folks that are super fired up 
to talk about what they're doing. Like it should make for a really great atmosphere. Awesome. Okay. Um, one of the last things here, I want to know from you personally, obviously you're a huge fan of these bikes and about people making bikes one at a time like this handmade bikes. What comes to mind when you think about that? Like, what is it to you? Is it the, is it the artisan craftsmanship? Is it like just having something unique that only Billy has? Like what, what piece of it is like the top thing for you? I have a very strangely proportioned body where I have very, very long legs and a very, very short torso. So my fit has always been the issue. I think I also found a sense of community with the, with the frame building world that, uh, that I had longed for and I love it. And there's just something about having something that's made just for you by someone that you know and I'm fortunate that I get to call a lot of these folks friends. So my custom bikes are made by people that I've known for years and have watched me ride. So there's the added benefit of them knowing he's going to be in the big ring when he goes up this climb. So we, we it needs to be this stiff or we need to change these different things as yeah. far as the tubing goes. But it's all community driven for me and passion driven. And I cannot always find that passion in the larger brand that I can find in someone that's building something specifically for an individual. And it's much easier for me to feel excited about what they're doing than a larger brand that is bringing it to the overarching masses. Is there anything else that you want folks to know about the show? Anything else that we didn't talk about? Uh, I think we covered down on everything other than, I mean, tickets are now for sale. So if you're in Portland and you want to come out to the show, get them now. The ticket prices will gradually increase as we get closer. So they're not expensive. Seidel Yard is awesome. It's going to be really fun. And we hope to see everybody out there. Um, but yeah, no, just thank you for the opportunity to chat. And I'm stoked about the show. You're welcome. Thanks for coming in, Billy. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. That was Billy Sinkford, VP at Echoes Communications and Director of MADE, a major bike show coming to Portland August 24th through the 27th at Zydell Yards in South Waterfront. I've got links to the show website in the show notes, or you can check it out directly at made.bike. Thanks for listening, and thank you to all the subscribers and advertisers who make Bike Portland possible. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so that more people can find the show. The Bike Portland Podcast is a production of Pedaltown Media Incorporated. I'm your host, Jonathan Maz, and until next time, I'll see you in the streets. <laughs>